Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day. Yeah, it's July 1st here in Canada, which is the uh, 148th birthday for the nation of Canada. Happy birthday, Canada. Formerly known as the Dominion of Canada, formerly known as Dominion Day. I don't know when they changed it from Dominion Day to Canada Day, but I, I think Canada Day is actually tougher to say. Canada Day. Canada Day. Mm-hmm. Dominion Day. But it does kind of sound like the uh, music of Doctor Who, Canada Day. Canada, Canada Day, Canada, Canada Day, Canada, Canada Day, Canada Day, Canada, Canada Day. Day. That does work, actually, See? yeah. Ha, tied it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, speaking of Canada, mm-hmm. a show created by a Canadian. Sidney Newman. Solely created by yeah. one Canadian. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Spearheading his vision. No, he said, here, here, focus group of the BBC, make this show that I have an idea about. Um, also written by um, this episode we're talking about uh, by a guy who worked for the CBC, John, John Lucarotti. Yeah. I recognize that name. Yep, it's Marco Polo. It is Marco Polo, which uh, does not feature a single frame of moving footage. Um, be- not a one. Because of missing episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those that don't know, missing Doctor Who episodes. There are currently 97 episodes of Doctor Who that aired in the 1960s that do not exist in the BBC archives. Mm-hmm. I would like to point out that 97 sounds like a large number. It is a large number. But, for example, Marco Polo <coughs> is, what, six episodes? Seven. Seven episodes. So, like, you know, when we watched An Unearthly Child, that was four episodes. So each episode counted separately. Yeah. There are 97 of them that are gone. Yeah, there were 253 episodes uh, that aired in the 1960s on black and white. Um, by the end of the 1960s, literally all, I think, the only ones that they were known to exist were maybe four or five. And then wow. Before they even checked how many they had. Anyway, what happened with the missing episodes is that back in those days, for a variety of reasons, they reused the videotapes. Videotapes were very expensive. They were very expensive. Um, so the videotapes were wiped shortly. I wouldn't say shortly afterward, actually. They were, they were wiped a, a, a while afterwards. For instance, the Highlanders in the, um, the second story in Patrick Troughton's time was wiped. Uh, I think less than two months after that show aired. Wow. Yeah, but uh, I think, uh, what's the day? August 19th, 1967, I think is the day where most of the William Hartnell original master tapes were wiped. Wow. And then a whole chunk more at the end of, um, uh, at the end of the 60s. Wow. Yeah. So none of the actual original videotape masters for any 1960s Doctor Who episodes survive at all. The only reason these things exist is because Doctor Who was being sold to many, many different markets overseas at the time. And so they made film copies, 16 millimeter film copies, because, you know, Region 2, which is, you know, the PAL, basically. UK was on PAL, there's NTSC, there's different little formats all over the world, you see. You're getting into very, very technical detail. I am. Anyway, <laughs> this is why they hit, this is why they're transferred to film because film is universal, and they shipped all these episodes all over the world uh, to overseas markets to watch, and this is why we have so many episodes back today in the archives. Because those film canisters sat around sometimes in basements or people's houses or wherever, yeah. and later on were recovered because you know somebody went down in the basement and said, "Hey, we've got some Doctor Who down here." Maybe yeah. we should send it back to the BBC. Yep. Or it's been found in like other TV stations that aired it. Mm-hmm. Or in fact, most of them have been found, were found in 1978 
or when they did a big audit in the BBC and they realized, that, oh, look, we at our film library, we have a whole bunch of them here, which is nice, mm-hmm. um, which, but they were sort of in the process of destroying anyway. It was, it was a bit of a shambles back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, the, uh, the uh, Marco Polo, all seven episodes uh, do not exist, which is frustrating because the first season of Doctor Who um, was sold to a whole bunch of different countries. And that's why there are, like, the first two seasons of Doctor Who are pretty much almost all intact, apart from 11 episodes in total. That's, like, about 90 episodes we're talking about. Wow. Yep. Um, but this one, frustratingly, is not, despite having it, it being sold to many different countries. Which means there the were many different copies of, yes. of it made on film. Yep. None of which, apparently have been found. Yes. And before you get, if this is the first time you're hearing about this, before you get all mad at the BBC, you have mm-hmm. to remember that this was back in the early 60s. There w- there almost wasn't such a thing as reruns at all. Nope. Television was just something that they did, and it went out on the air, and it was done, and it j- they just never thought of it again. So, I mean, in, in the world of today, where we're used to being able to go online, press a button or two, and find just about anything we want to pop up and air for us immediately, uh, this was a completely different time, so they weren't thinking about television the way we were. There was no such thing as re-watching. It just it happened. It was like going to a play, kind of. It was. There was that sort of that play mentality where it's just so like we're just a we're just a TV making machine, you know. We do our little, you know, make our sets, boom, 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 Kate, film it, Kate, strike them, wreck them, mm-hmm. onto the next kind of thing. Yep. It was that sort of mentality. It wasn't just the BBC. Uh, there were other UK networks that did the same thing. Um, if you want to watch basically the f- <laughs> anything from the first what twenty or thirty years of Johnny Carson's. Um, maybe about 30 years, mm-hmm. all the 1950s and 1960s Tonight Shows are pretty much gone, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the U.S. as well. Um, even 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 uh, sports broadcasts from those days. Uh, the, the most mm-hmm. recent complete World Series, for instance, that uh, has all TV broadcasts existing, the 1975 World Series. Wow. As late as all that, yep. Yeah. So, this is why we have to watch recons, reconstructions <laughs> that uh, fans out there have made with still images taken um, from original broadcasts, because there were people that did that in those days, uh, merged with people who, uh, audio recordings of the original <laughs> broadcast, which is also what people did in those days, nerds. <laughs> hey, even I remember occasionally taking my clunky tape recorder and taping bits and pieces of TV shows. That was just a thing kids did even in the 80s. Really? Yeah. I used to record, um, I was a fan of incidental music in the 80s, so I would sometimes record bits of audio off of that. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I didn't actually record actual episodes, but... So that's uh, that's how we uh, that's the best way that we could enjoy um, Marco Polo today, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, we watched episode one of today. The, the roof of the world, or is it just roof of the world? The roof of the world. The roof. I'm very the, the definite and indefinite uh-huh. articles are very important. Before I ask you what you thought of the actual episode, what did it feel like, sort of watching the reconstruction? Um, well, you suggested something that I think was very helpful, so if anybody out there is inclined to try this sort of a thing, uh, I, I recommend doing this. We pulled up the transcript of 
of the show. So the actual script and it had some, uh, some stage directions in there. So like in parentheses, it would say the doctor goes back into the TARDIS, that sort of thing. Uh, I found that very, very helpful because it, and then I knew what was going on because it was nice being able to see still images of, you know, Ian and Barbara and, and Susan and, and the other characters. So at least I knew what the other characters looked like, but you couldn't always tell, you know, exactly where they were, who was doing what to whom or, or any of that kind of stuff. So I found the stage directions in there helpful. And also just, you know, you know, I couldn't read lips if there was an, a line that was sort of difficult to, to understand. So, so having that there, I almost wish there was a subtitled version of the recon. Ooh, like yeah. I, like part of me, the video editor in me wants to take the recon, put it into my video program, add the, uh, add the, the, um, subtitles of, of what's happening along with the stage directions to just make it so I can just watch the screen rather than having, cause that was the one thing I had trouble with was looking down at the words yep. up at the screen, down at the words up at the screen. Uh, but I didn't want to miss any of the pictures either. Although I realized at a certain point they started sort of recycling the pictures. I found it was helpful. You know, when Barbara was on, was talking, there would be a picture of Barbara. When Ian was talking, there'd be a picture of, of Ian most of the time. Um, sometimes there would be wider shots of, of the actual set, the room that everybody was in um but but yeah i mean i'm, I'm glad that i had if this was my first experience watching any doctor who that would be kind of terrible <laughs> right. um, but because we've watched well i've seen a, a bunch of, of william hartnell before and we just watched the previous two stories i have it in my head the way these characters talk to each other the way that they move the way that they look when they smile all that kind of stuff so i was able to sort of build that in a little bit in my head and it was not as difficult to watch as i thought it was going to be i actually thought it was pretty painless so. well that, that makes me happy yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't remember how how they made this recon uh others have um like stage directions sort of scrolling across the bottom of the oh, screen okay um, there are a couple other recons that I have that use the BBC audio book version. So there's a narration when there's action happening on, mm-hmm. which I just, that, that, that happens, it happens later. It, I think the first one I have is for the savages, which is late season three. So it's going to be a while before we see one of those. Okay. Um, but I'm glad that you, uh, you didn't mind watching it that way. That's- yeah, I really didn't. I found... I think, okay, so the one, and I think I may, maybe mentioned this before, the only other recon that I have watched was, which episode is it that's still missing of The Web of Fear? Number three. Okay, so yeah, so episode three of The Web of Fear, um, as soon as that thing and Enemy of the World landed on iTunes, I bought them, um, and so it just came along with it, that was part of it, and I found watching that very difficult, because, you know, there are just a few pictures here and there, and I just, I had very little concept of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if I had been reading the script like this, I would have found it a better experience. Um, but this was, this I found more akin to my experience of listening to the BBC audio of the Highlanders, which I did not too long ago. And it struck me more as an audio play. Like I was able to just immerse myself in it um, and I don't know. I just, I think my brain did a lot of the work. It filled in the gaps for me in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, so, so it was a good thing. It, it was fine. Well, that's good. I suppose it's kind of the way that how, um, Doctor Who and TV was made in those days too, that it's sort of made like a staged play that <laughs> happens to be just in front of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. several TV cameras. Though it does make you aware of how much, um, sort of 
dead space there is in between dialogue and yeah. some of these slower paced older television shows because there are big chunks where you just kind of hear rustling and there's not a lot else going on. Thank goodness for I could look down and be like, you know, Ian and Barbara on a mountain mm-hmm. slope or whatever it said. Yeah, and and the the BBC has uh on a few stories where like most of the episodes exist and so like maybe if they're they're missing one or two they'll they actually paid to have these animated uh like the reign of terror coming up the ice warriors the invasion um and uh you get the impression of how difficult it must have been for them um to animate scenes where like there's not a lot of dialogue going on and sort of some <laughs> guy just walking around the room having to try you know making that look interesting in uh, animated form is probably a lot harder than in live action form so kudos to those guys for actually making the thing work but mm-hmm. what did you uh, think of the actual episode I was you know maybe part of the reason that I had so little such little trouble with this was that I was completely engrossed in this story oh, from moment one yay. I was really interested in it um, it just despite what I just said about there being you know dead spaces of, of, of no no speaking it did not feel slow to me it really felt like the episode cooked along and I wanted to know what was going to happen next and I'm interested in Marco Polo as a character and Tegana and I've even one thing that I think is really helpful by having the script in front of me is I'm remembering the names of the characters much better because ah. that's how my brain works is when I read something I remember it so seeing the names in text has been uh, has been really helpful and and yeah I just I thought it was it was interesting it's that's a historical period that I don't know a heck of a lot about although I did listen to a podcast episode all about Marco Polo it might have been in our time oh really know. yeah <laughs> which was which was fascinating mm-hmm. um and so this this kind of tied in with with that and and I uh I I am there's a part of me that's wondering how many historical inaccuracies there are in here but you know what nobody's really sure what happened with Marco Polo in the first place so I am happy to just enjoy this and soak it in. Yeah, I think um he must have written down a lot of uh he had many journals. Uh, he had journal entries which the neat thing is you see it in this episode the, mm-hmm. the first one. Um uh, I won't. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you that throughout mm-hmm. the course of these seven episodes, we basically kind of see this whole story through Marco Polo's perspective. I, I thought that was fascinating. The yeah. scene with him writing in the journal. I didn't pick up on it immediately that that's what was happening in the uh, in the transcript. It said O C. So I wasn't sure what OC meant. So it didn't say. I was expecting over. Yeah, because I thought VO for voiceover, but it yeah. didn't. It didn't say that. So I was a little confused. And then I looked up and saw the still picture that was a kind of a long shot of Marco Polo sitting at a desk. And I was like, Oh, I think he's at a desk, and I think he's writing. That's probably what's happening. Yep. And then it cut to another picture that was actually a shot of him. Um, you know, a, a POV shot of his pen. Yeah, and over the, the paper. And I think one other uh, telesnap is that it, we saw like the map. So I imagine there was probably some sort of like an actual like animation kind of I like wondered. drawing through, you know, like the uh, like Indiana Jones, like Indiana Jones, exactly, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, before we go on, you just used the, the word telesnap, which is a little bit of <laughs> I doc- did. Doctor oh, Who yeah. vocabulary. So we, I think we need to, uh, you know, for all of our new listeners, explain the telesnap uh, thing. Telesnaps. Uh, back in those days, uh, there was a guy called John Kira in the UK. This is before, of course, home video recordings and everything existed. So if uh, an actor or director or producer wanted proof of something that he actually worked on, um, he could get these tele. He could order some telesnaps to be made. And this guy John Kira used to set up a camera um, on 
on a TV screen. It would just take basically between about 60 to 70 or 80 um, pictures, still in, basically screen grabs, from a 25-minute episode of Doctor Who. I think he did them for other TV shows as well. He would do them for all of them, and then he would basically sell them to whoever wanted them. He'd make prints for them. And so a lot of directors and producers would do this. Um, it, it, there's a few that exist in Doctor Who. Um, they mostly exist in the later era of Doctor Who and the Patrick Troughton time. And the telesnaps for Marco Polo were never thought to exist. I, I don't even think they even knew that they existed because the, uh, the anyway, long story. But Waris Hussein, the director of this, happened to find the telesnaps that he actually commissioned um, for the six episodes that he directed. He didn't direct episode four. So we are lucky enough to actually have some visual proof of Marco Polo because there are no tell us there there are three Doctor Who stories which have zero moving footage at all that being a home movie or anything like that mm -hmm. uh, it's this one the massacre and mission to the unknown the latter two of which do not even have telesnaps so we are lucky to actually have wow. telesnaps for these so yeah there's a there's a lot of hardy people back in those days who at least give us some sort of glimpse into what you know, some of these Doctor Who episodes uh, actually looked like and sounded like. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I have heard about Marco Polo, um, uh, people say it's a great story, and so far I agree, um, but they also talk about the costumes yeah. and the sets and stuff being really kind of luxurious and rich in some of the, some of the scenes, and, and that it's a shame that we don't get to actually see those. So uh, I'm glad we at least have some photographic evidence of that. And um, in uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, the, yes. uh, the dr dramatized version of the creation of Doctor Who, they did a, a, a short bit that, that took place on the set of Marco Polo, which looked really cool. I think Mark Gatiss wanted that, that to be there. I think mm -hmm. it was one of his things, oh, we have to set something on the set of Marco Polo. The, re, um, uh, the reason why people know about the sets and everything is because, remember last week, or last episode, we talked about how the um, um, Edge of Destruction episodes were written basically to possibly close out Doctor Who, That's to finish right. up that 13-episode run. Well, here's the other side of... of of the success of Doctor Who, because by the time that Marco Polo was being made, it was uh, a success. Mm -hmm. And episode one of Marco Polo uh, was the first time that Doctor Who featured on the cover of the prestigious Radio Times in the UK. Ooh. So the photographers came by and took a large number of beautiful color pictures. So if any of any color pictures of the William Hartnell mm -hmm. era are floating around on the internet, it's mostly from this one Radio Times shoot. <laughs> so we have a whole host of pictures from that. You can see all the costumes and the sets and behind. And so, you know, those are more tantalizing glimpses. We even saw some of them in the recon, actually, in mm -hmm. those, those pictures. Ah. And so that's why. Interesting, you mentioned the... Uh, well, this is such an info dump, this episode. I hope it's okay. <laughs> um, the uh, Adventure in Space and Time. But the guy who play, who uh, plays Donald Baverstock, who tells Sidney Newman to kill Doctor Who in his mm -hmm. couple other scenes, is Mark Eden, who plays Marco Polo in this. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. I don't think I knew that. You That's wouldn't have awesome. known that because you probably didn't see him move that much. Also, <laughs> uh, um, the guy who plays Tagana, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Mongol, the white guy, mm. that's something that we all, if this ever comes back to the archives, we'll probably discover all the white guys made up to look like Chinese guys, I'm afraid. But uh, mm -hmm. he is played by um, Darren Nesbitt, who played number uh, number two in an episode of The Prisoner Ooh. in 1967. And his direct underling in that... 
was Mark Eden, who, of course, played oh Marco Polo in this. Yeah. Wow. So how about that? There you go. Small TV world. It, it kind of was back then. Well, certainly the in the UK. Yeah. I think in, in a way it still is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is fascinating stuff. Yeah. I love, I love watching Marco mm-hmm. Polo. I have a question um, yeah. also about actors. So in the pictures, it looked like Ping Cho was actually... Um, was was not a white girl made up to made up to look like she was she was born in Burma uh, aka oh, okay. Myanmar Xenia um, mm-hmm. Merton is her name and uh, she appeared briefly she's still acting today she was wow. she was like I think nineteen or twenty back then uh, she was in a couple of episodes of the Sarah Jane Adventures back in two thousand nine no way yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I remember when, when she showed up on the cast list, everyone got like, woo, someone, someone from Marco Polo is actually uh, on Doctor Who or some Doctor Who-related property again. So, okay. yeah. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I did, I, you know, jumping back into the episode itself a little bit, yeah. uh, I, I enjoyed that we get another uh, female character on because, you know, it, this, this could have very easily just been a whole um, cast full of, uh, you know, Dudes, right? Well, because it's it's just a bunch of um, you know travelers, and they're going to the the court of mm-hmm. Kublacan, whatever. Yep. Um, so they didn't have to have a lady traveling along with them. So it was, it was nice, and and I like to see Susan get to. Well, I don't know if they're going to strike up a real friendship, but mm-hmm. they shared a room and they they did the thing that young girls do. Um, and I'm not being stereotypical here because I did this myself like when you're when you're having a sleepover and it's time to go to bed you know you, you know you go to the room and you get in your sleeping bags and yeah. stuff but you don't go to sleep you no. stay up talking like you stay up talking you know I hate to say it but you stay up talking about boys or at least well mm-hmm. okay, that one not every girl does but I certainly did so it was uh it, it was kind of fun to to see that play itself out and and I also loved the bits where where Susan would use terminology from the future. Um, like although, fab. Yeah, well, okay, the fab thing was the one that I didn't like so much because because then she follows it up by saying, oh, yeah, that's the term that we use on Earth. Like, where do you think you are, kid? <laughs> well, that's true, but I mean, she flies all over the place, so. I know, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess. It's kind of cool. Yeah, but no, some of the other, I can't remember exactly which ones but there was the the scene in the bedroom where they were mm. trying to go to sleep, um, where she'd say "fiance." That was that was it. Ah, and yes. And Pink Cho's like, "My what?" It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, "Ah, very nice." The TARDIS translation circuits are not working quite correctly. Well, perhaps. maybe because yeah. "fiance" is a word that came to English via French, yeah. and it was just just too much. Plus, actually, yeah, okay, let's get real nerdy. The TARDIS okay, translation no. circuits. Why are they working at all? The TARDIS is down. I know. <laughs> At least that bit works. Right. Well, I mean, at this point in Doctor Who history, they had not... uh, I don't remember seeing anything explaining why everybody in the entire universe uh, speaks Mask of Mandragora. And even that's uh, debatable. So, yeah. It's another 14 years in Doctor Who before it's ever addressed. All right. And then, again, in 2005. (laughs) So, there you go. That's the only time. I am not not overly worried about that. I just think it's it's kind of a funny thing to... uh, (laughs) Just to, to be able to push my glasses up with my yeah, finger yeah. and sort of point that out and go, mm, but I don't really care. It's funny you mentioned Ping Cho and Susan. People have been shipping those two hard since 1964. Ah, uh, I can, well, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot yet, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just saying. So of course, they're only 16, time. so. Yeah, which, well, UK, Susan maybe is 120, who knows? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Who knows? But in the UK, that is the age of consent, so I don't feel quite as weird about it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there we go. Episode one, uh, of, uh, get ready for a rare, uh, road trip movie of a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> uh, 
as they travel on their way through uh, through China, by the looks of it. Or okay. Cathay. Before yeah. we finish, though, I want yeah, to yeah. talk about... This is the longest episode we've ever done, and it's on one episode of Doctor Who. I feel fine with that. We I said, do. We said we're going to talk as long as we I need know. to talk. I know. And I'm talky. Good. Um, do it. We also spent the beginning talking about Canada and singing the Doctor Who song. That's true. <laughs> um, the Doctor, at the very end of this, the uh, the cliffhanger, I really expected the cliffhanger to be Marco Polo saying, nope, I'm taking you with me, mm-hmm. and, you know, this is going to be my gift, and that's it. And then that, you know, mu- cue the music, bring it up. But no, the Doctor goes on some kind of weird hysterical laughing fit. <laughs> yep, he does. And then that's the cliffhanger? No. Well... Well, and the cliffhanger is him saying he has no idea what he's going to do. No, the cliffhanger is Tagana going... Oh, that's right. I yeah, totally forgot that extra in the, scene. In the market, like getting the... Okay. Is he getting poison there? Is that what he was getting at? Yes, think? he was getting enough poison. One drop would uh, poison an entire army. That's right. Um, but, okay, so, good point. Yeah. Because I was so, like, thrown off by the doctor being weird. so strange. <laughs> that's a weird scene, Yeah, it, it was... And I'm... I don't know if I am glad that we don't have it to see or if I wish it was there so I could make a better determination about how I feel about it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We haven't seen him go quite that loopy about anything before. But maybe, no. it's, maybe he's still got a little bit of the mountain sickness and his blood hasn't. <laughs> that could be it. He doesn't quite have enough oxygen in his blood yet. He's, he's just a little loopy. Okay, I've, I've had cannoned it away. Good. Um, I'm not worried about it anymore. So, yeah, that threw me off so much. I forgot the actual cliffhanger, which was Tigana deciding to poison everybody. There you go. Except for the first gourd. Because, you know, he needs to have water to drink out of himself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, he's a pretty smart guy. He is. Mm-hmm. Always clever, Tagana. Yep. Clever indeed. All right. Well, I hope they get out of it. Well, well, well <laughs> we have seven, more, six more episodes, I suppose, to find out. Mm-hmm. So we will find out. Yep. But not tonight. Uh, as we record this, fireworks uh, happen for Canada Day in half an hour. Yes, it is 10.30 p.m. and it's not anywhere near dark enough for fireworks. Uh, this part of the world is strange to Welcome me. Welcome to the 54th Parawa. We are, in fact, on the roof of the world. <laughs> well played. Good. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.